Greetings, everyone. You are tuned in to the Trinity Falls podcast. This is episode number 14. And, oh, it's going to be so good today because we're going to begin talking about the Trinity, which, as I teach my confirmation students, Trinity is just a fancy way of saying dance party. Uh, So that's why we got the funky music going today. Uh, We will learn much more about why Trinity means dance party in the next episode. But in this episode, we're going to introduce the Trinity, where it comes from. And so we're going to be looking at uh, the scriptures and we're going to begin even thinking about uh, the ways people have thought about God over history. So thank you for tuning in. This is going to be so good. Uh, Trinity, a fancy way of saying dance party, uh, is coming right at you. So enjoy. Before we go any further into the topic of the Trinity, I want you to, in your mind, for the next moment or two, imagine what God is like. What does God look like? Who is God? This is the core question in all of theology. All theology is a, a striving after and a, a trying to grasp what God is like and what God is doing in our world. And so all of us do theology all the time. Even if you're an atheist, you are a theologian because you have thoughts about God. Uh, So everyone listening is a theologian. You all have thoughts about God. And even right now, you have an image of what God is like in your mind. And here's what I want us to begin to do, is I want us to begin to... uh, kind of deconstruct that image of God, because for most of us, our image of God is not a Christian view of God. And the Christian view of God is Trinitarian. And this is a doctrine and a teaching that the church has confessed for uh, over a thousand years, over 1,500 years. And and it's actually a doctrine that we we take for granted. We don't let it impact how we actually live and how we we practice faith. So in these episodes, I want to show how incredibly important the doctrine, the teaching of the Trinity is, because uh, when we begin to think of God as Trinity, then we have a uniquely Christian way to think of God. Uh, So here's the deal. Since people have been alive here on earth, people have always had questions about God. Uh, They've always wondered what is behind what we see in the world. So one of the earliest ways to think of God was was polytheism. And this is a fancy way to say that there are many gods. So for instance, you would see it rain and you didn't have the scientific knowledge or uh, logic to understand how rain happens. So you assumed that there was a divine being, someone behind uh, the rain. So you believe that there was a God of the rain. Uh, or there was a God that helped your crops grow, or there was a God of war that would help you win your battles. Uh, And your life was really uh, lived uh, with a lot of fear for these gods, trying to please these gods. And we see this uh, especially in uh, the book of Exodus, when we see that the people of Israel are in Egypt, and the Egyptians have a multitude of gods that they worship. And 
what what begins to happen is God of Israel begins to show that he is more powerful than the gods of Egypt. Uh, so uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but the first idea of God is really polytheism, that there are many gods behind all kinds of things. We see a more uh, a different version of this in Greek mythology where we have the pantheon of gods with Zeus, Aphrodite, Ares, uh, all of these uh, gods who control uh, the different systems of the world. Uh, so that's polytheism. Uh, something that started to happen um, around maybe four or 500 years before Jesus came to earth was what we call philosophical theism. And basically what this is, is a new way of thinking of God. There were philosophers that began to think there couldn't obviously be a mountain where there was gods on it. Uh, like Zeus, there wasn't a, an actual, this wasn't true. But what they began to think is that if there was a God, this God had to be almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, and was the first mover. He was the, this God was the one who began all things. And so their conception of God really was uh, based on the idea of perfection. Uh, when Plato started talking about this, uh, he believed that there was the ideal forms and the perfect forms. And here on earth, we see shadows of those. But in uh, eternity somewhere, there's the perfect form. And so the beginning, so theism started teaching that behind uh, everything, there was a God who was all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, uh, omni, uh, this is the word omni, where omni comes from, all-knowing, omni, omniscient, and all that. So anyways, that was another idea floating around. And the thing about the, 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 the theistic way of thinking of God, the Greek philosophy way of thinking of God, is this God was very uh, removed from the world far away, not very involved, uh, a, a cold being, if you would. Uh, but in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, we begin to see another way to think of God. Uh, and in Genesis 1, uh, we see that there is a God who creates the world, and he makes it beautiful. And as he creates all of the things in the earth, the stars, the, the animals, uh, he says it is good. These are good things. And the radical part of this creation story in Genesis is not necessarily how long it takes to make everything, but rather that there is actually only one God behind all of these things. And so this is monotheism one God. And why this is different than the Greek version of theism is that this God was incredibly involved in the world. This God created humanity uh, to be in relationship with God. And so this is a very different way of thinking of God compared to polytheism where there are many gods and maybe these gods are fighting and they're angry and you're trying to appease them. Or there's this far distant theistic God of the Greeks. Uh, this God of the Bible, of the Hebrew scriptures, was very different. This God was involved in creation. And when people sinned, 
when people hurt each other, this God was impacted by that. This God was, uh, had emotion. Uh, there's this terrible verse in Genesis 6 where God says that he regretted making humanity. And what, he, what that shows us is that our God is impacted by what we do and that there is a real relationship and connection. Uh, rather than destroying humanity completely, he, there is Noah and his family and he saves them. Uh, so our God is, is very, very different from all the other ways of thinking of God. Uh, in the book of Daniel, there's a really powerful verse that begins to stretch the way God would be seen. And in John, I'm sorry, in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, I just want to read it. Uh, something new begins to happen uh, with what God is doing in the world. Uh, Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. Now, Ancient of Days is a reference to the Lord God. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Now, this one who was like the Son of Man, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so here, in the prophet of the Old Testament, Daniel, we are seeing that there is one like a son of man who will ride on the clouds and he will approach the ancient of days, who is God, and he will receive worship and full authority and power. The, the reason this is such a radical verse in the Old Testament is because only Yahweh, the Lord God, receives worship. But now, the one like the Son of Man is going to receive worship, dominion, power, praise, all of this. Uh, it's interesting to note that when Jesus is asked if he is the Messiah in, in his trial, uh, before he dies, he says, yes, and you will see the Son of Man riding on the clouds. Like he's saying, I'm the one that Daniel was talking about. I'm the one who receives that power. <clears throat> Anyways, so already in the Old Testament, we see hints and glimpses and uh, foreshadowing of something new that would happen in the relationship that the people would have with God. So let's move now to the New Testament. The New Testament is what really creates the problem for the Trinity. Because the Old Testament is very clear, God is one. But now something new starts to happen in the New Testament. In the book of John, uh, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And so here we see uh, this idea of the Word of God being with God and being God. And then in verse 14, we see that the word became flesh, like became a person and dwelt among us. And this is Jesus. And so Jesus comes to earth and we begin to see that he is saying and claiming to be God. Others are worshiping him and he's receiving that worship. And so now we have a problem. This is what made so many of the Jewish teachers furious with Jesus. This is what made them want to kill him is that he claimed to be God. And they had to deal with that. They had to figure out what that meant because for their religion, 
there was one God, but here Jesus was saying he is God. There's a beautiful text in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, where we see the baptism of Jesus. And in that scene, we see uh, Jesus come out of the waters and the Spirit of God descend upon him. And then we hear the voice of God the Father say, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. Uh, a beautiful picture again of what God is doing. And we start seeing that the way God is being revealed is through Jesus. Yet there's also the Father, and now the Spirit is also in the picture now. Uh, it, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells us to go baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we're seeing there that, uh, according to Jesus, that we, we worship and we teach people that God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, at the end of the Gospel of John, when Jesus is, has been resurrected, uh, Thomas is having some problems with this. Jesus reveals himself to him. And when he does, the words that come out of Thomas' mouth is, my Lord and my God. Powerful words. He's saying that Jesus is his Lord and his God, and he worships him. Uh, let's see here, a few more. Uh, in the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 2, I want to read this verse, because this kind of uh, just shows us clearly what the New Testament people, writers, thought about Jesus. You can hear me flipping to it right now. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians. There we go. Uh, so, chapter 2, verse 9, uh, Paul tells us, For in Christ, in Jesus, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the, de all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form in Jesus. And so for Paul, for the New Testament writer, he is connecting Jesus with God. Uh, but also, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is also a big player here because on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all believers after Jesus is ascended into heaven. And there's a passage in Acts chapter 5 where the disciples are referring to the Holy Spirit as God. And so I'm going to read this to you. It's an it's a interesting story where um, Ananias and Sapphira had given money to the church, but they held some back. And so they're struck dead. Very, very confusing story. But um, then uh, Peter says this. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart, that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself some of the money didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Um, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to us, but to God. And so he, Peter says, it interchanges the word Holy Spirit and God here. He says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. And so he's connecting the two together there. Um, and then finally in Romans uh, chapter 8, we see Paul connecting the Holy Spirit with God um, as we look at uh, new creation coming into the world. And I just want to read that 
to you because I think it's pretty important as our as we think of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so Romans chapter eight, uh, nine through eleven. Uh, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead is also uh, will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. And so here we're seeing that the Spirit is being called the Spirit of Christ. And so already we're seeing connections between the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and they're interrelated. And so what we, we begin to see is that the early church has a big-time dilemma. They had believed for centuries that God is one. But now in their midst, Jesus has come. He has shown people what the Father is like. He has died. He has risen from the dead. And he has now poured out his spirit on all people. What are we to do with this? In what way is God three and also one? And so the people wanted to hold those intention. They wanted to be faithful to what the scriptures were teaching because they were teaching that God is one, yes, everyone believed that, but also that Jesus must be worshiped and that the Holy Spirit is also God. And so this becomes the big problem of trying to put the Trinity together. And uh, this, this really kept the church really busy for the first few hundred years of the church. Uh, there's no clear, worked out teaching of the Trinity uh, in the scriptures. You don't have the writers using the word. Uh, but what you do have is you have early church fathers and theologians beginning to see that God is three and God is one. So they didn't want to say that there are three gods and they didn't want to say that God is not three. And so they begin to try to figure out what we do with this problem. And so that's the beginning, the introduction to the Trinity. And right now, if your head is a little sore, if you're a little confused, that means we're talking about the Trinity in a right way. Because the Trinity is a mysterious and complicated doctrine. And so uh, one of the things we can do is we can think about the doctrine of the Trinity, but language and words are always going to fall short. Uh, but we're going to try our best. So here's the deal. Next podcast, we're going to talk about the way that God is three and the way that God is one. Uh, and after that, we're going to talk about how the Trinity truly impacts our world and how the church is actually a reflection of the Trinity in the world. Uh, so exciting. So good. Um, really radical, life-changing types of things. So uh, we'll leave it at that for today. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, it, again, if you have questions about this, I have some handouts that I've put together from uh, the, the Sunday school class we did on this a few weeks ago. And so uh, email me, moxendale at trinityfalls.org. I'll get you that stuff. Uh, but have a great day and we'll keep rolling with this. Peace.